we'll see people kind of walk by our clinics for several months and kind of poke around. Maybe they'll come and ask us questions about what we're doing. And then one day they'll finally bring their animal and maybe their friend's animal and decide to, to actually be seen. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you're listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today on Dog Words, veterinarian Laura Plass returns to update us on community veterinary outreach. We discuss how their work would benefit from having permanent space they could use one Saturday each month in the downtown or midtown area of Kansas City, Missouri. Listen to the interview for more details. They don't need much. If you can help them out or know someone who can, use the contact form for their website linked in the description or reach out to Rosie Fund and we will connect you with Dr. Plass. If you're new to Dog Words, in each episode, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We Save Each Other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. You can support Rosie Fund by making a donation on our website or Facebook page. You can also contribute by making a purchase from the store on our website, buying a t-shirt at bonfire.com, or buying our note cards featuring Rosie and Peaches and our shirts on barkyours.com. Links are in the description. Your donations and purchases help fund the Rosie Life Starter Kits that make sure these senior and harder-to-adopt dogs have some of the items they'll need in their forever home. Any donation amount is greatly appreciated, but here are some popular levels. $30 provides a collar and leash for a Rosie Life Starter Kit dog, and $100 covers their entire kit. You can also support Rosie Fund by downloading, subscribing, rating, and most importantly, sharing dog words. Follow us on social media, even if you aren't looking for a dog. Watching and sharing the videos helps our channel gain exposure, bringing awareness to our cause and giving shelter dogs much-needed attention. Our free Rosie Fund YouTube channel offers great videos of Rosie, Peaches, and shelter dogs looking for their forever home. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions, especially if you have an idea for a topic or guest. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Next time on Dog Words, Dr. Molly Ebinger tells us about her return to the Iditarod as a veterinary volunteer and her trip to Norway to do the same thing at the Femmond Race. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today, we welcome back to Dog Words, Dr. Laura Plass. Welcome to Dog Words, Dr. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. As far as welcoming back, I'll I'll be transparent with our audience. Not only have you been on a posted episode of Dog Words a few years ago, but this is our third run at this interview. The yes. universe has been See, conspiring against us. Third time's a charm. Ready to go. So this is <laughs> going to be the best interview we've ever done. <laughs> Practiced. As, as far as people know. The first time you were on was... Maybe not the first two weeks of COVID shutdown, but it was in that time period when it was still believed that two weeks or another two weeks, another two weeks before everyone sort of realized like, no, it's just indeterminate time that we are going to be suffering through this. So tell our listeners a little bit about what Community Veterinary Outreach does and how that was impacted by COVID. To recap, if you didn't hear last episode, what we do is provide free wellness visits for people who are homeless and their pets. And we are downtown Kansas City, Missouri, and we're monthly clinic right now, which I'll go into in a second. 
and we give free vaccines. We do spays and neuters occasionally. We offer free flea tick and heartworm prevention, free exams. Everything's free for them. And it's awesome. It's an awesome service. We connect with a one health organization as well in the area. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but the difference between where we're at now and where we were at last time we interviewed was last time COVID happened and we didn't know what was going to happen. We had all planned out to start doing more frequent clinics at the time. And then we kind of had to just reevaluate everything. It ended up not changing a ton because we were able to start doing monthly clinics and everything was outside, which made it a lot simpler as far as exposure. But we did take a brief break when nobody knew what was going on. I think we took maybe three or six months off to just sort of see what the implications were of COVID. And then we kind of started doing monthly clinics and we've been doing monthly clinics ever since. So you adapted and persevered and what you do for your clientele is so critical because it's beyond just providing a much needed service for their pets. You have partners that serve the pet owner as well. Right. Yeah. So kind of like you mentioned before, we're a one health clinic and what one health means, because most people probably don't know this, but it's integrating human health, animal health and environmental health all together. And we're more of the human and animal health, of course, but we're trying to unite those two because they just make so much sense together. So we will have a human health partner at every clinic where they'll provide a service to our clients and at the same time we'll be providing a service for their animals. So the idea, and this was thought up by Dr. Michelle Lem up in the Canadian version of our like sister organization of community veterinary outreach. And the idea is that people come for their animals because their animals are the most important thing in their lives. And then at the same time, they're able to get something for themselves too, because it's convenient and they're there and might as well, it's free. So let's go ahead and do, for example, STI testing, or maybe there's a food pantry, maybe there's vaccinations for COVID, whatever. And it just kind of gets them in the door for, to take care of themselves. Part of it is maybe they don't know these services are available for them, but it's also most of us, regardless of our living situation or employment situation, take better care of our pets than we do ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see that across the board. So you, you get them in there because they know they need heartworm treatment or flea and tick or just to be looked at by someone like you, who is a veterinary professional. And then, oh, by the way, right here is this other service. Does that seem to be a real teachable moment for those people who show up for the first time that, oh, I'll be back? Yeah, I think... We, we sort of have a mixture of people who come for our human health partner, which is Care Beyond the Boulevard, and a mixture of people who come for us and then find Care Beyond the Boulevard services while they're there. So it's, it's kind of interesting depending on how they heard about us. But I think it is kind of eye-opening, especially because at the wellness visits, we try and discuss One Health perspectives at the time. So maybe if we're talking about parasites, for example, hookworms or giardia, those are things that people can get to. And this is something we do in veterinary medicine, no matter where you're practicing, but just discussing that, hey, you know, it's important that we prevent these parasites so that you don't get them. Just like 
you know, you can get parasites and diseases from your environment. So can your dog. So we need to help your dog, but also make sure that you're taking care of yourself too. And same with like dental disease, you can sort of connect a lot of different health issues in a one health way. And it, it brings a lot of meaning to, to both sides of the equation, I think. It's also a reminder for, I think, a lot of people that if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be there to take care of your pet. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think animal disease is probably the best example of maybe not that particular statement, but the one health idea and just like people who are homeless don't have great access to dental care and that is reflected in, you know, maybe they have to get dentures or whatever at an early age and it hinders them from getting employment opportunities, all sorts of things. So same with their animals, you know, animals not looking for a job, but it's still trying to eat its food every day. It's Mm -hmm. not trying to get infections that have to require expensive surgery. So kind of taking care of both your pet and you is, is really important for, for both parties. How is the animal care side of the your pop-up clinic staffed? We are all volunteer-based, so we have several veterinarians who volunteer. Some of them come every month. Some of them are just more sporadically involved, but we have two to three veterinarians who come and do all the exams, et cetera. Our board is made up of volunteers, and then we have volunteers running like the reception area and then technicians, too. We also partner with K-State's vet school and their shelter medicine program, and they have an outreach rotation where their vet students spend a week going to different outreach clinics like ours around Kansas. And then on their final day of rotation, they come to our clinic and they're able to see that you're a real one health mentality of things. And we have their, their students volunteering with us. So a lot of their students, you know, their students will be doing exams and actually doing the vaccines while the veterinarian on staff stands by and helps them out, make sure that everything's correct, see if there's any learning opportunities for them too. I would bet that's really eye-opening for a lot of those students that they've not been exposed to this kind of environment before. Yeah, I, I think it definitely is because when they're in vet school, they're in the ivory tower of medicine and they're not getting exposed to real life in general practice or in these, these outreach situations, they're exposed to gold standard of medicine every time or else, you know, like that's, that's just how it is. And it's a great learning environment, but you're not necessarily getting real life opportunities. So when they come to our clinics, they're able to see, you know, client interactions where things aren't ideal, where we have to send patients home from surgery without pain medications for 20 days and maybe they're going to be living outside while they're recovering, which is not a great place to recover just because of the higher incidence of infection. But that's just reality for our clients. So it's just something that we have to think about and and deal with. I think it's, I think it's a really good opportunity and also just kind of helps their brains sort of bend to figure out what's going to accommodate the owner. And that's Mm -hmm. something that they'll carry through their whole career, no matter where they practice. Yeah. I think of, MASH, I'm older than you are, so you may not have watched MASH every week like I did. I have watched MASH on TV land. Okay, so uh, when uh, the David Ogden Stiers character, Major Winchester, was added to the cast, he came from some like prestigious hospital in Boston, and his approach to triage in a medical tent in Korea didn't work. 
that he yeah. was trying to do things when you have all the resources available and, and the aftercare and, and, uh, and totally Hawkeye and everybody have to bring him up to like, we don't have that luxury. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't get time to think about it. You have to deal with it right now. And that's that. And it's, I mean, when you come out of school, it's, I think it's super fun to have to adapt to, to that kind of stuff. Like that's one of my favorite parts of my job is just figuring out which owner is going to be able to do what and want to do what, but you have to offer the same thing to everyone because that's just, that's good medicine. Mm-hmm. And then you figure it out from there. And how do we fun. make this work? What yeah. kind of, I don't know if attendance is the right word, what the show rate do you typically get? How many people do you serve on a given session? That is less variable now. I'll give you just because we'll go back to COVID for a second to show how our number of teens, but during COVID and right before COVID, when we were operating, we were in the like five to 10 clients kind of thing per clinic, per three hour clinic. And ever since we started doing monthly clinics, we're about 30 to 40, maybe 45. And that's uh, patients that we see. So we have a lot of clients who come with like five pets at one time. And so that, that it's not 45 clients, but it's, we're fed pets that we'll see and we knock it out in three hours between two or three veterinarians and it's super fun, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of people. <laughs> I'm, I'm just picturing uh, people with dogs, but I, I know you probably have other animals too. Is it cats and anything else? Yeah, we have dogs and cats. Uh, I would say primarily dogs. We see quite a few cats, maybe like, 60% dogs, 30% cats. And then we've gotten a couple of guinea pigs for nail trims and some ferrets. Also, uh, I don't think we've had any bird. I, we wouldn't see a bird because of the flight risk and scary. But I think that's pretty much it. It's just like small rodents occasionally too, which was surprising for me the first time. <laughs> well, if birds are a flight risk, how do you, how you can literally, uh, how do you yeah. keep cats. And I don't even know how someone would live on the street with a cat. Yeah. So I haven't figured that out. People have trouble living in a house with a cat. Right. Right. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Some some people will have, you know, six cats, but I think a lot of people will take care of cats in their area and then count them as theirs, Mm -hmm. which would be reasonable, but, and then they'll take care of them and do vaccines for that cat. And that's one situation for them. Another situation is they might live in their car or they have a house and it's just a really transitional moment for them. Mm-hmm. You know, just sort of so many different places that people come from. But for us at clinics, we're fortunate enough to have K-State's bus, like surgery bus, and they have an area in the bus van thing where we can just go inside and do kitty exams. And that's where we try and do everything with cats because it's an enclosed space. I don't personally don't feel comfortable doing cat exams out outside just because they're they squirm and they're ninjas mm-hmm. and about to let someone's cat get out and it'd be my fault. I know I would feel horrible. So we try and do everything inside for that. Our dog Peaches was a very accommodating patient, which was great for her uh, uh, in her last few months when she's getting chemo and, and everything. She would just let a vet tech or doctor do anything to her draw blood examine you here poke there and that's after years of vet visits you're getting adult dogs who've never some of them had an exam how do you restrain them how do you get them to uh 
allow you to examine them to the extent that you need to. Yeah. uh, And this is something that all veterinarians and veterinary technicians experience too, no matter where you're working. It's hard uh, at first. Some dogs, some dogs don't care. Like they will, there's no stranger danger for them ever. And they need to be like, whatever you want to do is totally fine. And I'd say that's the, honestly, the majority of patients that are, that are okay with stuff, at least okay with things being done to them. But the ones where maybe they're more aggressive or really, really scared, we have our technicians uh, who are trained in animal restraint and we have different, different restraint techniques that we can use. We try and do as much fear-free techniques as we can, which just means that we're, really getting lots of snacks. We're distracting them. We're making sure they can see their owners. So they're comfortable giving them lots of scratches. Maybe we take it, we do one vaccine and then we take a break and we do a treat and then we do another vaccine and just kind of do it really slow. You know, it's not, even though we're seeing 40 people in three hours, we're not rushing through things at the expense of an animal. So we'll, we'll really take our time. And sometimes, you know, if an owner wants a nail trim and the dog is just not having it, we'll say, we're just not going to get done today. Like, I'm sorry, we're not going to, we're not going to stress your dog out more than we have to. And this nail trim isn't a necessity at this point. So maybe we come back at the next clinic and just do the nail trim. We don't do vaccines and just do a nail trim. Mm-hmm. trim yeah, that don't way. have them stressed to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not worth it. Do you ever have owners who are resistant to what you're trying to do for their pet? I would say not once they get into the clinic, they're okay with us doing whatever we think is, is needed, but we do have a lot of clients that will take several months to actually walk through the non-physical door mm-hmm. <laughs> since we're outside. So we'll see people kind of walk by our clinics for several months and kind of poke around. Maybe they'll come and ask us questions about what we're doing. And then one day they'll finally bring their animal and maybe their friend's animal and decide to actually be seen. But there's a lot of trust issues in the population that we serve just because they have it hard and they aren't always treated very well by others, which is awful. And it's understandable if they have a fear that someone might determine you aren't taking proper care of this pet and take their pet away. So they observe from the sidelines for a while until they see my friend went in with a dog and came out with the same dog. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And I think most of our clients hear about us through word of mouth at this point. So they're, they're hearing from their, their friends instead of, you know, our first clients were really just taking a leap of faith and coming to see us because nobody had, you know, when you just start out, nobody had seen us before. So that was, as we've grown over the years, it's, I think become more, more trustworthy. People are, it's hard enough to build a clientele with a brick and mortar and advertising and the (laughs) the local newspaper. How do you spread the word? It's yeah, it's gotta be word of mouth. Is your location pretty consistent? Does that help with repeat business or people finding you for the first time just knowing, Oh, they were here last month. Yeah, we, so we used to operate out of two different locations and we have since moved down to just one. And I think going down to one has really helped us have steadier numbers because they always know where we're going to be. We're always there on the second Saturday of the month and we're always at community or at uh, Caribbean on the Boulevard. So they know we're going to be, we're consistent. We're there every time, except there've been a couple times when we've had to cancel because of weather, because we are outside. So if it's 10 degrees outside, I, I can't make my volunteers go there, even though people will still show up. But I think just being that consistent presence 
is very important for this population. What are the future plans of community veterinary outreach? Anything you're looking to do different or expand or adapt? Yeah, so we are currently just keeping on with the once a month clinics and trying to stay afloat at the moment. We have some staffing changes that are going to be happening later this year. So uh, just making sure that we have enough doctors and uh, in- increasing the number of pets that we can serve per clinic is really our goal right now. We've talked about expanding to other areas in Missouri and Kansas, and that may or may not happen. We'll we'll just kind of see. But right now we're just trying to make sure we're stable. <laughs> we have listeners all over the world, and I'm confident if anybody is thinking our community needs this, and odds are your community does, they could reach out to you and get some tips, maybe skip some of the growing pains that you had to go through? Yeah, absolutely. I think my information will be right around this podcast. So more than more than happy to listen and see if you have any questions. Happy to talk to you about it. In the description will be a link to the previous episode that you were on, but also a link to not only the Community Veterinary Outreach website, but also your social media, Facebook, Instagram. So it'll be easy for people to find you, follow you. There's a a donate link on your website that people can contribute. What is your biggest need from, from donors and contributors? Biggest need is just like any nonprofit money to be blunt and donations are always helpful. We are wanting eventually to have a place where we can be indoors for our volunteers and for the cats and the dogs that we see and our clients because we do have weather extremes here in, in Kansas City. So that would be awesome if anybody knows of any space in the area that would be willing to kind of house us. But would you still be on the same schedule of a monthly? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't even need to be a space that somebody gives up no, permanently if they know we can make this available one Saturday or one weekend a month. Yeah. we really just need a room, you know, with maybe some tables or something, although we could provide the tables. (laughs) We're, we're, we're pretty minimalist. So, so something with, so your, your, your wish list, if you were uh, talking to a realtor is you want walls and a door and a roof and a roof. Yes. That'd be good. If there's indoor plumbing, that would be a bonus. Not needed, but, but, but not required. That would just be a nice little bonus. So I would imagine there are spaces out there that could serve your purpose. Ideally, would it need to be in the uh, downtown or midtown area? Yeah, ideally kind of closer to the human health partners that we work with. So like Caribbean Boulevard or Metro Lutheran Ministries, somewhere like that. It doesn't help um, much if this is in Pleasant Hill. Right. Right. Johnson County is not going to be great. So (laughs) if somebody knows of a space or has a space that they can share in uh, downtown or midtown, reach out to Dr. Laura Plass and you will be doing a great service for for this community and for uh, the people who are our neighbors and the animals that they love. Yeah, and if it's a company that is able to provide that space, you know, we can always do advertisement through our social media that we're in partnership with with you too. So, a little incentive. So yeah, reach out to <laughs> community community veterinary outreach. I don't know why I have such a hard time it's saying very it. Entertaining. It's, a, it's a tongue twister. I really enjoy for me. it. I'm usually <laughs> I'm usually good with words. That's my profession. But community veterinary outreach. I can just see your mouth start stumbling before you say anything. It's like someone carrying a 
boxes down steps. It's like, oh, they're, they're, they're about to lose it. Here it goes. Oh, here it comes. Should I just jump in and say it for him? I don't know. Yeah, that would help. So if you would like to help Community Veterinary Outreach, follow the link on the website or reach out to me through Rosie Fund and Dog Words, and I will connect you. So first of all, thank you for what you're doing for your community. And second of all, thank you for being so patient with me and and uh, sticking with me through this process of getting this episode on the air. And any updates you have, uh, if you get that permanent space, let me know. We'll announce that on the air. We'll have you back. And uh, I just look forward to, to updates from you, Dr. Plass. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, third time, hopefully this works. And I uh, really, really appreciate it. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Thank you to Dr. Plass for joining us today. Links to community veterinary outreach and their social media are in the description, along with Dr. Plass's previous interview on Dog Words. If you can help them find a space they can use one Saturday a month in downtown or midtown Kansas City, please contact them via their website or social media, or reach out to Rosie Fund, and we will connect you with Dr. Plass. Next time on Dog Words, Dr. Molly Ebinger tells us about being a veterinarian at the Iditarod and at the Femmond Race in Norway. A big thank you to alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Supporting The Wires supports our mission. Learn more about The Wires, including their concert schedule at thewires.info, and download their music on iTunes. Check out fiddlelife.com and learn to play fiddle and cello fiddle online from Laurel and Sasha, even if you've never played before. Join Laurel and Sasha as they explore new music and delve into the inspiration behind each work as hosts of Sound Currents on 91.9 Classical KC. Click on the Sound Current links in the description for more information. Go to rosyfun.org to shop and get links to our social media. As always, please download, follow, rate, and share dog words. This helps us with sponsorships, then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions via the contact form at rosyfund.org, and let us know if you would like to be a sponsor or a guest of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening to Dog Words, and remember, we save each other. <laughs>